comic books today this is your one-stop shop for all things good comic book wise this is for everything that we are reading everything that's current that's the short box first half of this that's in our short box that we just got recently second off wrestling we love indie wrestling we're going to be getting into that as writers we're going to let you know what we think we're not going to tell you anything that you shouldn't know and warning spoilers (laughs) spoilers for sure how's your week uh, it's been an interesting week. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. Things have been a little bit strange for me lately. Um, man, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of my, like, regular work, uh, stuff going on that, um, hasn't been a whole lot of work lately, but I've been doing stuff with, uh, my union, and that's fascinating to me. Uh, and then today, I went to an optometrist. I've been to a bunch of optometrists trying to figure out LASIK. But uh, right now we're talking about the possibility of doing some surgery to make sure that uh, my eyes see straight. Because I've got an issue when I'm not wearing glasses. I have double vision. I hate it. I don't want to put up with it. I don't want to live like that. So I'm uh, looking into surgery. And uh, I don't think I'm afraid. (laughs) I don't think I'm afraid. But I'll have another appointment coming up uh, next week to see if uh, this is totally worth doing and what it's going to cost and insurance. And, man, it's a bunch. It's a bunch. I've got some inspir- I've got some inspiration for you on the eye surgery. Oh, yeah? I got three words for you. Burn it down. <laughs> Seth Rollins. Burn Seth it Rollins down. did it. Just burn Seth my Rollins eyes. did that, and then you know what he went and did? He went and got a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> should it, should it be right that there. simple for all of us? The architect, know, the right? Kingslayer, the Kingslayer, the man, the man. Oh, we'll get into that. <laughs> We're going to talk about that stuff in a minute. Yeah. And I have had a, a phenomenal like mm-hmm. past couple of days. I've been working from home for so long, for six months, and I begged my boss to let me come back because it was just driving me nuts. I felt like it was in a hole, yeah. and I I didn't I didn't realize how many people liked me. First off, they were happy to see me, <laughs> and then I've just been trying to keep this positive mindset to just focus on mental health and not let bad things you know kind of intrude and start kind of haunting me. I just, you know, I've got some nice brick walls that are getting stronger and stronger and higher and higher by the day to where a lot of those things that were bothering me just aren't even getting through. And uh, like the other day, for example, I was walking uh, to go take a break and go smoke a cigarette outside with uh, with whoever was out there. There's always really cool people outside. And uh, this guy stopped me. He's like, hey, man, you're that guy that always wears that. Uh, uh, and I'm like, oh, great. What is he going to say? <laughs> uh, that bullet club stuff. And I'm like, Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> and he's like, what's the deal with that, man? Like, I am I love wrestling. I do watch it a lot. But I, I, I don't know that much about indie wrestling or, or New Japan. Like, why does everyone like this guy named Kenny Omega so much? And I'm like, oh, man. sit down. I felt the same way a year ago. <laughs> I didn't really understand. But I watched the uh, – tell me, just I, I'm never going to be able to get all these wrestling matches, correct? But I watched the Kenny Omega fight 
uh, versus Chris Jericho. I was building a Lego yeah. set, and I, I had to stop. I was like, "This is this is nuts, dude." It, and, it was uh, crazy, and yeah, he 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 was just okay. Like, I'll come back from break. I'm gonna send you some videos. I'll email it to you, and I sent him Okada versus Omega Three. And he was he mentioned that he was a really big. I asked him if he liked Lucha Underground. He's like, "Have you seen it?" And he's like, "Every episode." I'm like, "Great, sweet." Like, I love I love Ricochet. I love Prince Puma. And I'm like, "Have you seen his match between Will Osprey?" And he's like, no. And I'm like, say no more. Those are the only two matches I sent him. That's the first six-star match that Meltzer did. Uh, we gave the, the six-star rating to because he was infamous mm-hmm. for being hard to even give a five. And, um, you know, just those random things keep popping up, man. Like, it's just been really good positivity. And I've been sleeping well. And just I'm doing a literally 100% better at my job. And, you know, we've got this podcast coming up. Let's talk about what comics that we're going to talk about today. What do you got in line? Well, I did a lot of reading this week. Uh, usually I get my stuff done. I mean, you get a lot of reading done in the morning while I'm drinking my coffee before things start getting serious and the world starts texting me um, or phoning me. I am still doing a lot of stuff with Silver Age books, and I guess you could quantify these as being probably Bronze Age. But I was reading some Captain America and the Falcon. I'm working on this interesting... Oh, yeah, this interesting sequence um, from, you know, I don't remember what year it was off the top of my head. It's issues 146 through 149, I believe. Let me pull them over here. I got a different thing. Yeah. And, oh, man, it's it's wacky. Uh, you've, got, you've got a whole lot of stuff going on with Cap getting together with uh, Agent 13 and she being in, front, in charge of the Fem Force. And then Hydra coming up and hijacking a plane and all this nuts stuff. And it's just interesting thinking about the circumstances of our uh, society right now in the United States with gender things. I don't know how this book would possibly have got out if that was the case now. It just goes to show you this isn't the way it always was. And uh, as, as much as... Um, Marvel Comics always has tried to be as diverse as possible. Sometimes one-upping other companies. Uh, you know, hey, we didn't always get it perfectly right. You got Nick, Nick Fury saying stuff like these blasted dames over and over again, and I know that just wouldn't fly these days. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what, the art is fantastic. The, book is, the books are really good. I love looking at all of the old ads. Um, and I'm not going to go into too much detail with those. If you can find those, they're worth looking at. They're all, all Silver Age, all Bronze Age, I think is really good stuff. Um, well, well, I was hoping that we could go into that uh, in the long box portion of this when we start talking about uh, Machine Man uh, to mm-hmm, go into that because mm-hmm. I don't know who Agent 13 is. I don't know about Fem4. So we, we need to know about that. That's what we're going we're gonna to have to talk <laughs> our ears off. You're going to be surprised. Uh, once, you know, once, you know them better than you think you do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, once but, uh, once we get over our once we get through the uh, current issues um, yeah. of this week for the short box session, uh, what I've got lined up today is Uncanny X Men number eleven, mm-hmm. Mortal Hulk number thirteen, X twenty three number nine, cool. Die number three, and the last but not least for our short box, and you guys will find out in a little bit, Iron Man number eight. We've got a lot right. to talk about with yeah. that, and then our new exciting feature, the Walking Dead minute. <laughs> I didn't even flip yeah, through it yet. Here, I got no, these no, also. I want to I I run off what I've got as well. My modern stuff. I picked up Star Wars 61. I've got Man Without Fear number 5. I went through that entire run uh, this last week. 
Daredevil number one, the new Daredevil that picks up right where that went, left off. And I'm reading IDW's Star Trek The Q Conflict, which uh, I've got a... Beautiful. I think it's cool, but i got a beef. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, get, let's, uh, let's go into space uh, first and foremost. For four months, let's uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Star, Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah, we went. Let's see. I mean, this is a number one, and there's no like major continuity going on with most of the Star Trek. Uh, I, these are like limited series more often than not, and they've got this really artist, ar- artist and writer. Oh yeah, we got Scott Tipton, we got David Tipton as the writers, and uh, David Messina is doing the penciling. Anyone and, do the cover? Yeah, there's multiple covers because you can't get away from that over there. We've got Retailer Incentives by George Cat- Ugh, George Kaltu. Oh, I can't say it, dude. I'm so sorry. Oh. Which one's your hand? Hmm? This Which is one's the, your uh, hand? This is the, like, just, you know, typical cover A by uh, David Messina. He did cover B also, which is um, alternate takes on all these characters. It's, it's like a side-to-side, basically. There's one wraparound yeah. that they did that's a retailer incentive by J.K. Woodward that I think is pretty awesome because it's got the entire cast on it. But essentially, I mean, it starts off, you know, I'm going to say this is probably post-Star Trek Insurrection, given the uniforms and given Geordi having eyes almost, um, no visor. And because uh, it doesn't just drop you in and say, hey, what year it is. And it's not as if we'd understand start dates, anyways. But, um, you know, Q shows up and... It, they they figure it out really fast that Q's got something to do with it because there are supernovas blasting around all over the place, just totally wrecking the Beta Quadrant, and um, they're reading this happening all over the place. Stars are going way too uh, through their cycles way too fast, and Q shows up, takes Captain Picard away, and says, "Hey, there are all of these uh, immortal, non-corporeal beings that you've encountered throughout time, and we have to put them in their place every now and again because they are." They think that they're cool enough to challenge the Q continuum. And so they all basically take the cast of the four major Star Trek series, uh, Next Generation, Original Series, Voyager, and Deep Space Nine, and they're going to do something kind of like the Game Master would do in Marvel Comics and say, you guys are going to represent each of our civilizations in a contest and of course they don't want to do it but maybe there isn't another immortal entity out there for them to deal with but of course we're going to blow off an X-01 crew Enterprise Captain Archer, Scott Bakula I just think that's a big diss I love that Bakula I watched some Quantum Leap this morning Nice Yeah, it was on uh, El Rey A Great Network <laughs> Big best network, man. That that when that thing first came on, just for a quick side note, I could not believe it. One of the best Sundays I spent in my life. I had an entire Sunday at house to myself. Woke up and they were having a Bruce Lee marathon. Oh, for real. It I I immediately made myself half a paused it, <laughs> made myself half a side of bacon, poured myself a drink, and spent the whole day on the couch watching Bruce Lee. And then they're the ones that show Lucha Underground. Mm-hmm. They've got the uh, – I mean, one day they played all the Hellraisers. One day they played all the Puppet yep. Masters. Uh, yeah, like it's just a testosterone-fueled, awesome television you know, um, channel by Robert Rodriguez. And I, I wish it was on more platforms. You've got to have like DirecTV and all this other stuff. Or it, it used to be on some streaming thing like Roku, but I think it's gone now. But yeah. 
I, I got uh, or, some fascinating information about the El Rey network. Uh, maybe for another opportunity, though. But uh, you know, I'll split. I'll spill that out with you here in a little while. It has a lot to do with why the production of From Dust Till Dawn moved to uh, New Mexico from Austin. Because I was down there in Austin working. Interesting. On, yeah, I was down there working on Alita Battle Angel uh, when they were breaking down those sets. And we were like, why? That show's still in production. And it's it just wasn't common knowledge. And only now, about two years after the fact, Alita is coming out, what, next week or this week or something? And uh, Yeah, everything's everything's moving to Albuquerque right now. Netflix? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, this, um, great, this, this turns great out city. not to have anything to do with that as I understand it. But, okay, um, we'll get into that at a yeah, different that's end. that's another thing. What if, more do you got about Star Trek? How did you enjoy the story? You know, I mean, honestly, like it's, it's super it, – it's really good. I, I like that Commander Riker is in it a bunch because, you know, I feel like in the comics he gets blown off. You know, you can have a Riker story, but you don't usually get him being who he is as the first officer and being a, a – not a counterpoint, but like a, a – a, uh, somebody to bounce things off of with the captain. Captain's always talking. A good to foil. The captain's always talking to. Well, I mean, you know, Q maybe a foil, but he's always talking to Data. He's always talking to Jordy. But you know, sometimes it just doesn't seem like they really pay him any mind in the comics. So I think that was a good utilization of his his character. But then on the last page, we get into this business where you have all four of the crews together, and I'm going, okay, we've got the Organians there. The Organians specifically messed with Captain Archer and company in a fourth season episode of Enterprise. And I'm like, well, why couldn't they be there? You know, they did amazing things, and they do amaz- apparently do way more amazing things after season four all the way up to what would be considered the beginning of the original series, or I guess Star Trek Discovery as things are, which I finally finished the first season. I bought it on DVD. I just have not been a subscriber person, but I think I'm going to change all that. You know, I'm subscribing to so many things now. And uh, at the very least, just to be able to watch current Star Trek is worth it. What have you got? You have a space book? Did you say you had a space book? Well, first and foremost, back to Riker. And Mm -hmm. I I like the fact that we want to expand on him because my experience with Riker, because you're the one that got me into Star Trek, Mm -hmm. was from Mad Magazine. And every time they did anything (laughs) with uh, Star Trek Next Generation Mad Magazine, uh, Riker was always the shirtless guy hitting on chicks the entire issue and the the short little Mort Drucker type thing. And uh, I would love to see him develop more. That that, that intrigues me. Oh, Um, man. I I don't want to blow – I mean, hey, spoilers galore. If we're going to spoil things for our subscribers and our listeners – I'm going to blow stuff for you. I mean, you get this. This comes out on Friday. Yeah. No, no, no. no. This is Friday. This has been, this is all over Wikipedia, Memory Alpha. This is in the books. I mean, he is eventually going to become a captain. There was an episode, it was the Icarus Factor, and it was on El Rey this morning. I was, or no, 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 I'm sorry. It was on BBC. I was flipping back and forth. Uh, I really love the Icarus Factor. It's an episode where Commander Riker is asked to take command of, I believe, the USS Ares, and he's supposed to go to an unexplored, kind of perceived to be dangerous area of the galaxy, and everybody's like, wow, what a great idea, you know? I mean, what a great place to send. He's going to do great things over there, but it's super dangerous. And then his dad shows up, and his dad wants to brief him on the possibility of this mission, but he's not sure he wants to go. He's the commanding, or he's the first officer of the Federation flagship. And that is a prestigious position. So there's all this, like, grading. If you want to see some Riker 
character development. It's the Icarus factor, and then you've got to get into the best of both worlds, parts one and two. And I know you're going to love those, because those are quintessentially the most beloved two episodes of Next Generation across the board, I think. The best of both worlds, parts one and two. Um, and man, oh please, I mean... Uh, if you haven't seen that, I totally understand. I haven't seen Doctor Who, but I know, I know that's a, that's something you're going to be like, this is nuts. You know, when you get there, when you get there. If you just hey, started, we'll watch it together. Your, your, your recommendations are always money, man. But to segue <laughs> into uh, yeah. Star Trek from Star Wars, because we were going to talk about Star Wars number 61. Yeah. Uh, I keep meeting a lot of people that keep telling me, well, first off, I know for dang sure that Star Wars, I'm sorry, Star Trek, all the new comics, like met like five guys in the past two, three months that say everything IDW does is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to read GoBots and <laughs> reading Ninja Turtles, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to read uh, a few of the titles they have coming out because they're just a little bit uh, too retro for me. Yeah, okay, Turtles, but still. Uh, that's, oh, no, I mean, I'm not. You my, can't, my, I don't my, think I can qualify that as retro necessarily. My, my cup is full on that. However, everyone says that all the Star Trek stuff they, they do is money. Um, I met a guy at work the other day that was talking about the, the Star Trek comics, and then I just randomly mentioned, have you seen the Orville on Fox? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, my God, I've seen every episode. And, dude, this ep- this television show, I didn't I don't have that much history in Star Trek like you do, but he was telling me that it follows and recycles a lot of the old stories. You can tell that Seth MacFarlane is a huge Star Trek fans, so they take a lot of the tropes that that happen in that, and you can tell a lot of parallels, he said. And he he went off a bit about that and, you know, kind of lost me because there's a lot of storylines I I don't know about. But uh, we did have a good conversation because I was a little apprehensive to watch it because it was Seth MacFarlane. Okay, I like Family Guy. It's funny, but I like it because it's rude and crude, mm-hmm. and I, I, I show up for that rude and crude type of, um, you know, storytelling and jokes. I don't want that in my in my in my galaxy in my space stories. It, it just doesn't compute for. And luckily, they don't do that. They don't do that at all. Now there are now the jokes are are crafted extremely smartly. There'll be sometimes where they'll they'll say a joke and then I'm like ten seconds later you're like oh oh my god that's what they're like it, it'll it, it'll take you a second to get it. The jokes are smart sure. and if you realize what they are, they're still kind of rude and crude, but they don't say it. You, you got to figure it out. Yeah and. Just check out the Orwell if you guys aren't watching it. Um, let's uh, talk about Star Wars 61. I was very, very satisfied with Star Wars 61. Um, first and foremost, uh, they finally did away with that awful um, photorealistic chicanery of where they took photos <laughs> of Han Solo and Princess Leia and then, like, you know, really overly digitized it um, in Photoshop or whatever program they're using to make the art. But this time it was actually full-fledged art i didn't have to worry about looking like i was looking at a picture of you know harrison ford and someone like sketched over him and then airbrush things to make it look a little bit prettier but this was of course by kieran gillen mm-hmm. and uh, andrea brocardo yep this made this was extremely satisfying because this series has can perpetuated the five issue six issue one and done storyline you don't have to worry that you're gonna have to wait a whole year for something to happen. It's usually about every three weeks. And, you know, they're finishing up everything on the planet that they've been hidden on in Cuban. semi-exile. and Cuban. Even almost on vacation, yeah. With Thade <laughs> and his people. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, Thane finally, you know, in the last issue, uh, revealed that he was there to help him. He wanted them to really signal, you know, out, and the Empire did show up, and you know, Luke threw down, and they 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 made their escape, and That's, this yeah. was them. That this was them, and that nice wrap everything up in a pretty bow, and really, really give you that sense to finally exhale in relief and enjoy something. I agree. I, I I disagree with you about the artwork. I do like that artwork. I, I need to see that every so often, but it's okay for them to jump away from it. And I do like what I saw here because... I don't it, hate it. It's a, Well, of course not. But I, I, I see this being a nice transition away from it if they're going to do something different. And it varies from page to page, given the amount of light to dark we've got. But uh, yeah. I really Good like that when they get into the nebula here, I really like the... Uh, yeah. The, uh, just the, I don't know, the way it, like, you know, bleeds onto the characters, and, um, I just like that. I I think it's watercolors. It's just really pretty. I I just find it, on a story note, a little bit irritating that they keep encountering the same characters over and over again. It's a big galaxy, even when you consider how much smaller it is than, say, the Star Trek galaxy. Uh, but, uh, you know, Scar Squadron, it makes sense that those guys would yeah. be coming after them over and over again. They're hunting rebels. And that's yeah. the thing. It can't always be Darth Vader failing repeatedly to capture the rebels. <laughs> that just, that, that pulls his teeth. I don't want it. I want Darth Vader to show up and the situation goes south big time. Or they can build up an Imperial Admiral... They could have done that. They could have had an Imperial Admiral built up to only to fall. And I know we don't want to see that over and over and over again. But if we get to the point where we're like, oh, wow, this is, wow, that guy's Thrawn. That guy's very Grand Admiral Thrawn or something like that. That would be cool. There's an entire, you know, Imperial meeting in Star Wars of guys whose personalities have been fleshed out in the Wikipedia. Uh... <laughs> You know, from expanded universe sources for literally decades. I think we could flesh those guys out as the bad guy that Darth Vader has to choke out. No, I, I agree with you completely, but I don't think this is the platform for it. I think really? this is the platform for people that are specifically showing up for between A New Hope and Empire and Jedi. And they're doing the best of what they can, introducing who they can without straying too far to really... Um, dissatisfy the people that are, you know, only like the, you know, the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it made me happy. Just to get back to the story, it was it was short and sweet. It didn't take me two minutes to read it, but I did love and enjoy the artwork uh, immensely. Each page I did study really quickly and then and then feel like it was really quickly and realize a minute or two has gone by. And yeah. the, the artwork flows, the, the character uh, dialogue bubbles flow really well. Uh, and again, I really love that it gave us one whole issue of relief mm-hmm. to, to really to really enjoy that. Okay, because they're going to get back into the in, in, into the mess next issue, obviously, like they always do. But like with the, like with the X Men, when the X Men wrap up, when no, they're fine. When the X Men wrap up a huge story, you pretty much only have two pages. Of, okay, everything's okay, and then next issue. You know, back into crazy melee of oh my god! You know the X Mansion's been destroyed again. No, we got a good you know twenty pages of okay, they're safe for a moment. I'm enjoying this wrap up. 
Uh, I like that Scar Squadron is still trapped, and uh, we we were able to just enjoy it. And, and you know, thank you very much, Mr. Kieran Gillen. Oh man, yeah, I'm gonna miss, next, but... I'm gonna miss him on this. Uh, on on, I mean, we're gonna look for we're gonna look for him to read his other content in the rest of his career. But I'm gonna miss him on Star Trek or Star Wars, rather. Sorry, I know what I'm talking about. Hmm. I like right. Leia. I love I love seeing Admiral Akbar, but I love Leia with this like no, we're not going to let that. Uh, we're going to let not let this gal get away for it, with it. You know, go into yeah. the uh, the Shutoran characters, the other princess. I know, right? How the, everything that led up to this story arc that went on a little while, and it's like, you know, you think about it like I know there that a lot of our subscribers and listeners have to be D and D folks. And yeah, you know, I'm going to say that these situations come up in D and D, just like in The Walking Dead, where nothing is going on for a while. It's like, oh my god, my characters need to feel safe for a second. I need them, you know. Yeah, but there should always be that undercurrent. It's a Ravenloft thing to do. Yeah, you're in a nice village, everything's under control, but something's got to be creeping in from the shadows, and it's either going to be those weird, you know. Uh, space wolves, or they're going to be, um, you know, the dark side of the force, or something like that, that makes it impossible for anybody to want to stay in that place. We've got to get out and get the fight back on track. We've got to go fight the Empire. We can't just sit here relaxing. People are dying, if that kind of thing. This, that tension was very well built there. So, I'm glad to see it over, and I'm glad to see where they're going to go next. It's going to be cool. I loved how Akbar was uh, pretty much just kind of like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't just some, like, you know, <laughs> vendetta you got going and you're going to send all of us rebels against him. And she's like, no, no, not at all. Then you see that look in her eyes like, ooh, that bitch is going to fry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I dig, I dig that last page uh, with with Scar Squadron. Uh, I, You know, yes, yeah. I'm sorry, folks, spoilers, but I'm ready to see... I like I like it better that it, that they have a reason to go deal with the rebels because they know where they're going to be next, rather than we just got a signal or we showed up because we captured somebody, tortured them into telling us crap. You know, just Leia <laughs> didn't quite cover her tracks. Mm. I've got uh, the next one. I got I've got two quickies. Yeah, because these two quickies. Um, We've got Immortal Hulk number 13. Right on. And and I want to talk about Die number three. We've talked about Die already, and I'm not going to get too much into that. The same way I'm not going to get too much into Immortal Hulk number 13. It was, let's see, who's been writing this? It, the way they did it was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Ewing, Ewing, Ewing. who's a writer, and Joe Bennett is a penciler. Mm-hmm. This deserves more study. Uh, what I would do want to say real quick about Immortal Hulk, again, it needs more study. I want to talk about this when the, uh, this story arc wraps up because I want to do a long box about this because okay. this is like the new, new, new Hulk. It's not puny Hulk, puny banner, smart Hulk, dumb Hulk, gray Hulk, smart Hulk in uh, big Hulk fashion, banner Hulk controlling this. It, it's a whole new, whole new ball game with this. Um, Banners, is he protected by the Hulk? Is that what really happened? They actually go into hell, which usually bothers me, you know, despite the amount of pentagrams I actually wear on my clothes at all times. (laughs) 
Uh, hell usually is, is a is a dead end for most stories. Like if you end up with Dormammu or in Spawn when they go to hell, usually that's a dead end and kind of like it, it it just flattens the story and becomes really one sided. Uh, enjoy it for the Alex Frost covers; they're gorgeous. Oh, These are some right. of the best covers he's done in absolute years. It, 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 all his artwork is beautiful, but these ones are really imaginative. And, like, the kind of rule... Remember we read in um, uh, Bendis' book that, you know, the, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the, the, the the cover has to have some sort of hint about what's going to happen in, into the, in the story. And they can over-exaggerate all they want, which they usually do. Like, as you can see the cover and, like, oh, my God, is my favorite character about to die? Mm-hmm. No, this one's way more introspective. You don't realize what the cover means until you finish the story of the Immortal Hulk. And what? why is this important? And then even just the title of, of the story. Uh, and again, spoilers, uh, they didn't tell you the, st- the title of this story until the very last page when Banner comes back from hell. He finally calls Betty and he's crying on the phone, and she just freezes when she realizes it's him. She's like, uh, but, but Betty, I, I, I need to come home. And she just freezes, and she's got that, like, the, the talking heads just have perfect emotion to them, that freezing, horrified look. Oh, my God, you're real. It's you. Where are you? Where are you calling from? And then the next panel is a, a splash page where Banner's in a phone booth of all places, you know, a phone booth, and he's crying. And then all of a sudden they tell you what the title of the story is, and it says a booth in the Midwest. Mm. And this needs more study. Uh, listeners, I implore you to read Immortal Hulk. Uh, buy buy the tr- trades. You want to buy the trades because you're going to reread it and reread it, and it's going to get beat up. Eventually get the single issues that you can keep precious for later. And well, especially I say the same- with the Alex Ross. Especially, yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, those ones are too pretty. Uh, already, the the uh, full run of this is going for quite a lot. I, I think last time I saw, like one through fourteen, was going for like ninety dollars, no less, on eBay. Hmm. Um, like like where people are bidding on it, not just some jerk expecting ninety dollars. And same thing with die number three. We we talked about it in a previous issue, um, but this one needs more study. Beautiful arts. Um, again. The, let's pull up who the artwork is. Obviously, Kieran Gillian, and we talked about the artist being heavy metal good. Heavy metal fantasy good. Boris good. Let's see. Who are we talking what are you trying to figure out? Sorry. I, I got like, to look at this eBay just, thing. I'm fascinated to see see what's going on. Yeah, Stephanie Hans. Yeah. I'm seeing stuff on eBay with Immortal Hulk, and they're pre-sailing books for next month it's that good man it's wow that good. that's fascinating it's that it's that good it, guys we're gonna do a long box on this uh when this story wraps up because yeah. i really need to re-read this and take a lot more notes because it deserves actual uh empirical study let me hold you up real um, quick. i'm sorry if there's any weird noises tonight folks i got a powerful thunderstorm going on outside and i'm hearing i'm hearing a a pummeling of rain on my on my roof right now I do kind of miss that from Oklahoma, man. I'm in Colorado. You're in Oklahoma. Yeah. It's the only uh, cross-state wrestling comic book podcast. 
and I, I do miss those Oklahoma rainy nights, man. Those, oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the smell outside are great. Mm-hmm. Unless the tornadoes are coming during tornado season, but that's a different story. We'll see if we can have a tornado uh, during a podcast. That'll be kind of rad. I hope I'm there. <laughs> what uh, What about die? I I can't look. I mean, you've got a first. You got a number one for me to read. I do. Uh, or I do. Got one that you picked up because uh, my local store doesn't have it, and I'm not in a position right now. Like I sometimes am. Like when I do my 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 day job, if you want to call it that. I'm in different towns all over the place, and I'm going to check out a comic book store if there's one I haven't seen before. And there's dozens around uh, that are really good in my in Oklahoma. But, uh, you know... Oh, actually, you know what? I might be able to see if I can come up with some tomorrow. i got to pick up my boy. My son is nine. He's in Taekwondo now, following in his father's footsteps, and he is... And whoops your it. ass at magic. That's right. He beats my ass nasty. In Magic the Gathering, uh, I don't get it. I mean, actually, I get it. I mean, <laughs> not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get very excited about myself. But uh, I mean, you know, his mom, you know, is quite smart, and uh, <laughs> he is the best of both of us. He's definitely a, he's way he's definitely nicer his than boy. But uh, like I say, you know, he he loves playing games. Uh, we play a lot of games, and we go to a game shop and a comic book store over in Tulsa. Uh, and we, we stop at a lot of places. I'd like to, I, I'm just going to throw out a shout-out to uh, Dice Addiction on 11th in Tulsa. That is a great game store. And, of course, we do go to the Wizards Asylum on Mingo on the south side, south of 71st. And uh, it's over by the Woodland Hills Mall. We play a lot of games over in their uh, uh, Herbalife side because uh, they have the tables. Also, I'm going to check and see if I can find a, find some die to read tomorrow when I'm there. Um, I've got the, I'm I've, taking him to class. I've, I've, I've got a first print for you. Go ahead and pick up the third. I think it's already in third printing already. Wow. I think the second issue is already in third printing as well. Uh, I think I saw Kieran post that the other day on Instagram. But I do uh, – Yeah, tell me shout about outs. Uh, I want to do, do some shout-outs mm-hmm. to uh, Matt Price over there at Speeding Bullet, the best comic book store in Norman, Oklahoma, Boomer Center. And uh, to my personal favorite comic book store, um, Muse Comics, Amanda and George. I love you guys over here in Academy in Colorado Springs. I love you guys so much. Um, um, yeah. As a I, former, sorry, as a former Speeding I, Bullet employee, I got to say, hey, what's up to you all again? <laughs> Dan, what's up, man? Hey, Dan. Hey, Annette. Now, uh, I know. Love those guys, man. Mm-hmm. Annette, you know Annette helped kick off that Norman Chocolate Festival? I did. I saw that. Yeah, she was posting on Facebook. In fact, let me here in a second. You know, tell me about Die, and then I want to want to direct some people's attention to something. But I got to find it on here first. Die again. It's role playing based. You are basically a fly on the wall, or on the on the dungeon wall, or the cave wall of watching these poor people that got sucked into an actual living, breathing role playing game. And I don't want to get too much into it because it deserves more study. If simply telling you about the issue would do it in injustice, because wow. right now we all of our all of the faithful readers of Die are hinged on the precipice of constant anticipation for something new, and they haven't finished up the initial run yet. So I, I imagine uh, Gillian usually does like uh, six issue runs. At six, we'll do long box on it. Just read it. Do yourself the favor. Um, 
let yourself get integrated and immersed with that sort of culture, that role playing culture, you know, try it out. You know, go get a, you know, go buy a, a you know, a twenty dollar uh, player's guide on Amazon, which is how much I paid for my uh, um, um, version five, fifth edition, you know, of D and D, and just thumb through it, see if you like it, and if you do, you know, dive in. Man, I'll tell you what. I grew up playing D and D, second edition, A D and D second edition. And to this day, I still don't understand the rules. I was a role player. I wanted to play the character. Uh, I was fascinated by what you could do with that. And I was never into all the subtle nuances and calculations and things like that. And I always had a good DM, and that was a, that helped things progress. But, um, uh, you know, I, right now I'm looking at stuff, and I'm, my boy wants to start playing D&D, and consequently... Uh, he's, he's, he was playing Dungeons & Dragons on Sundays at a Unitarian church with people after church. Nice. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I mean, there's all kinds of weird things I think about that, but it's not, maybe not, it's not bad things. It's just, I, I don't know. I guess that just seems ironic somehow, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree, man. Uh, I first time I played D&D, I didn't enjoy it. It was advanced D&D. Mm-hmm. Amanda over at Muse was telling me the reason, one of the reasons why she thinks, uh, the fifth edition is so, uh, popular is because it got rid of all those subtle nuances that drove people batty in advanced D and D, and and really gave people more meat and potatoes. And uh, I remember just real quick story. I remember the first time I played D and D, I was like maybe thirteen. I played it with some friends. It was advanced D and D. It was like ninety four. And I came home. My parents say, "Hey, what did you guys do with your friends?" And I was like, "We played this game called D and D." And they're like, they freaked out. They lost <laughs> it. They're, they they. They, they lost it. They're like, they grounded me for like a week. You can't play that game ever again. It's satanic. And I was like, what the hell? You know, like I didn't even freaking like it. And <laughs> what I the was hell bored satanic? for three hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out that the reason they hated it is back when we lived in England. Uh, I remember actually even answering the phone when this happened. My mom started getting pervert calls. And uh, huh. it was back in the day in the 80s. It was like, God, it was like, it was 88 actually because my sister was just born. Uh the connection could not be broken unless both parties hung up. And wow. I remember, I remember that this person would call and you know people would get upset. And it turned out uh, I don't know what happened. He associated letters with numbers and got our phone number for some reason and started calling my mom. And we were uh, we were about my dad was in the military and we were getting to play back to the states. And they told me, well, this is late years later after said grounding, but that he'd associated the numbers and they actually wanted my mom to stay longer because they actually caught the guy. And there was a few other women that were willing and ready to prosecute me. My wanted my mom to prosecute me too. And she's like, hell no, I'm out of here. She hated England. I love it. But, uh, yeah, but now it's, yeah, I think it's shaking that satanic type, uh, that, uh, that satanic, whatever. I don't even know how the heck you can associate with that. I, I understand it from back in the day. It's another thing like we were talking about. Uh, things are completely different now. I'm sorry, I don't mean to just jump on it, but like... No, do it, do it. The, the thing with... The worst horror stories I ever heard about with Dungeons & Dragons pertain to people committing suicide. And D&D has a totally different... Uh, mythos now. It is... Because this is a nerd culture... We're in a podcast yeah. talking about this. We're reading comics because we Creative know that culture. people will be interested, but that wasn't the case back then. And if you look at all of those movies in the 80s, Revenge of the Nerds, you know, 
even <laughs> Ghostbusters, those guys, you know, the characters were, you know, Vankman's kind of hip and kind of cool, Winston, a real guy, but like, they're dorks. And they don't fit in with regular society. They're outsiders. Yeah. People who played Dungeons and Dragons in the 70s and 80s, the early 80s, I think, um, had an outsider mentality that was either ingrained on the, to, in them or was pressed upon them or whatever. They didn't fit in. They probably weren't playing basketball or football, you know? Uh, they were high school-aged kids. They were in college they weren't going to dances. I'm making grand suppositions here, like generalizations, I know. But when you hear those stories, you don't hear about well-adjusted people who were on the inside of everything. You weren't listening to stories about the prom queen killing themselves because their level 51 character got defeated by Dormammu, yeah. you know? So... Yeah, that that's... That's interesting that you say that because I've listened to Chris Jericho podcast about three years ago or mm -hmm. about two and a half, and he was talking D and D with somebody and mentioned that his character he had for years got killed off, and he literally named off the the jerk from high school that killed off his character and oh. gave him a big f you. If you're listening, f you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> the, well, uh, to, just to wrap this up real quick, um, uh, yeah, it, it's great. Yeah, these guys were dorks. Right now, uh, creativity is actually being championed, and mm -hmm. uh, this sort of culture is actually something uh, that is not looked down upon the way it used to be. Like, you know, we're not – I really hope people playing D&D aren't getting beat up for it anymore. But at the same time, though, just real quick uh, – <laughs> Not while Vin Diesel is playing D&D. No, no, not while Vin Diesel. No, no. Uh, this championship of uh, dork, nerd, uh, whatever you want to call it, culture, pop culture, whatever – has done a lot of good for people like us, but at the same time, it ruined Star Wars. It kind of has destroyed Star Wars, yeah. And we'll get into that at a different time, but mm. I just had to say it that... Emphatically. That That's tough. It ruined Star Wars. Now, uh, we've uh, uh, you know digressed quite a bit. we got to talk about Daredevil, because I can't wait to hear oh about it. Oh my gosh, dude. I'm so glad to see where this went. Uh, yeah, I, I finished up The Man Without Fear. I uh, I remember starting it and going like, man, he's been, a, I understand, you know, what happened. I, you know, basically Daredevil <clears throat> has been through a lot, as he always has. <clears throat> and he has, like a lot of superheroes, he's still a mortal person. He's got ninja training. He's got radar sense. That does not mean that he is... Spider-Man with his proportionate strength and agility of a spider. It does not mean that he's the kingpin with an outrageous muscle uh, clustering. I don't even know what to call that. He's definitely not dense like Thor. You know, he doesn't even have the benefit, like, even of Ant-Man, uh, or Giant-Man, rather. <clears throat> so the guy has taken some licks, and his body basically gave out when he was hit by a truck. And uh, all of those old injuries are basically opened up again. And I'm not going to say that makes a whole lot of sense literally. I'm going to say in the, in the scope of what that means, it's a guy who got hit by a truck. And all of those old breaks that healed him properly, all those muscle tears and all that stuff, I can see that why this is a big deal. And the dude is in a hospital. Matt Murdock is in the hospital. Every, you know, he, over the course of five issues, he turned all of his friends away. And uh, <clears throat> people who loved him, Danny Rand, 
Foggy Nelson, Blind Spot, etc. But uh, the Kingpin came to visit him, who is now Mayor Fisk of New York City in issue oh, number yeah. four, and kind of threatened him. And basically, Matt Murdock said, "You know what? Hey, if you're here to kill me, just kill me." You know, and uh, that scared Wilson off, and he put the fear in way in in uh, no, in Wilson Fisk. I almost said Wade Wilson. Um, and so the new Daredevil, a uh, Chip Zdarsky book, who, let's see, where is the, uh, yeah, Chip Zdarsky. Who, hmm? Working on sex criminals. Got to yeah, shout yeah. out to sex criminals. Marco, Ch- yeah. Marco Chichedo and uh, Sonny Go. Also, we got a VC guy. We got to get into that VC, that, that, uh, <laughs> that whole VC conversation we, we mentioned. But we also have, uh, I have to find this Alex Maleev variant cover for Daredevil number one because that is not the one I got. I got the one that they were promoting in uh, Marvel previews and uh, I'm a giant Anthony uh, Alex Maleev fan so I gotta see that Work cover. Is so slick. But, um, so slick. Dude, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm a big fan of his. But really, I mean, like the interior art, oh, this is, this is great. I mean, this is, this has got, uh, like rumblings of some previous things and I like this whole business going on in it of um, the kingpin being in charge of New York he, there's this whole sequence in here where the cops are trying to ascertain what happened with uh, somebody being beat down and they're like well this guy is fingering Daredevil and the other guy the other cop or it's a lady the other the gentleman cop is like well then forget about it we're never going to catch we never catch those guys those guys, you know, they're here to help us. We don't really get the impression that this guy's a bad cop until a not-white, a giant not-white guy who appears to be a cop, but uh, I can't really tell. And I don't know if he's in any previous issues. Definitely an agent of the Kingpin shows up and threatens them with, was this a Daredevil sighting? Was this a superhero sighting? Because there is a, I guess, moratorium on superheroes. If the cops can catch a superhero right now in New York City, they need to get caught. And uh, I don't see how a couple of street cops or two or three guys in cruisers... You know, I've been to New York and I've seen those cops. And there are cops every place. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with them, but they're not all specimens. Okay? They're not all Captain America. Um... I don't see how many cops in New York could tackle, you know, Daredevil, let alone D-Man, of all people. But, I mean, I'd be fascinated to see where that goes. I'm, I'm most compelled by, or I'm not, well, it's not the most compelling factor, but I am quite compelled by the idea of this dude showing up and pressing people for uh, superhero information. It'd be an amazing direction to go with the Kingpin trying to shut down superhero activities in New York City. But beyond that, the, the, you like seeing Daredevil's personality, his mentality, getting over it, the circumstances over what? of the man without fear, getting over the, uh, the... He's back in action, is what it is. Well, how did that wrap up? Like, uh, Mainly, I started reading Man Without Fear, and I, I, I stopped. I didn't like it. Oh, I understand. You okay. No, I get it. The first issue was like, if he's going to be in a coma the whole time, what the heck am I reading, you know? And I thought it was going to be this big mental battle 
taking place. And I was like, man, this is like just this is like damnation or something. It's like, is this going to amount to anything? You know what? It pretty much did. And today of all days, this has been a, I mean, this has been a rough day for me. It's been a rough couple of weeks with some circumstances going on in my personal life. Daredevil provides me in this in, in these not extra, extraordinarily bright hours of some get up and go because yeah. we've got Daredevil spurring Matt on. We've got Batman Jack Murdoch spurring Daredevil on. We've got Matt Murdoch trying to battle an in an, an incarnation of fear that's in his mind. Fear that is a is a is personified as a skeleton with a drooping yellow and red original Daredevil costume. And um love that costume. Yeah, man. I mean that one Daredevil always has pretty cool costumes. I don't mean, I even like I even like that like Daredevil armor costume that they had way back. But what you can tell is that we're flashing back and forth between where he was in <clears throat> Man Without Fear number four to Man Without Fear number five, because he's got a gigantic, you know, thick red beard and mustache and his hair is longer. So you can tell he has excommunicated himself, if you want to get Catholic about it, from uh, most of his people in his life so that he can recuperate, I guess, in his own way. And I think that it took the kingpin coming to threaten him uh, to get him to do it. I'm going to say it's worth reading Man Without Fear, but I don't think you have to do it to jump into the new Daredevil book. Um, but I think the new Daredevil is... And it is going to be a fun new direction. I don't see, like, a contiguous launch point for the story yet. I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, likewise, I watched the first episode of the new Punisher season last night, and I'm like, okay, well, that was Why? really slow. I don't know where this is going. We don't know anything about this chick he's running around with. It's the same thing here, but the side stuff that's going on with this guy like that's what? working for the kingpin is way compelling to me. Like what? What do you mean? Like what? 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 Uh, no, I mean, I mean more details. Like what? Are the, give more detail about the side stories, man. Like you've got me hooked. So well, go. I think the thing. I mean, they, they're we're jumping back and forth in time, looking at young Matt Murdock right after his initial injury, you know, freshly blinded and pre-stick ninja training, um, talking to his Catholic priest. If you're going to do that in issue one and stop it, I think that's a waste. But I don't need it all the time. But if you're going to draw some kind of comparison between the, uh, the, the narrative of where we're going with Daredevil, that he needs to be remembering those early life lessons, that would be something. Or if we're also going to parallel a retelling of his ninja training to help him deal with whatever circumstances are about to come up, that would also be helpful. I would stick with that. The thing is, I mean, ultimately, basically he gets into a fist fight with some, uh, some thugs and he almost loses it. You know, he almost gets taken out and he knows it. He's up on the roof and he's like, you know, <clears throat> Uh, after having essentially defeated these guys, he's accidentally killed a guy. Really? 
Uh, if, if that's, uh, you know, I read it once. If that's the case, and the subscribers, please tell me if we're wrong. We never have a problem if we're wrong. Uh, it could have been an accident. It could have been that one of the other thugs accidentally whacked the other guy in the head. All I got to was at the end of it, there is a, there is a television report going on and, uh, surrounding buildings, surveillance captured, or surveillance cameras capturing three robbers an altercation with the mass vigilante Daredevil who evaded capture. And Daredevil, of course, has not been on the streets. Danny Rand showed up in Man Without Fear while Matt was lay fallow in the hospital and said, hey, man, I'll put on the mask again. Let me go out there and be Daredevil for a while. And he's like, no. And Blindspot did the same thing. I'll go out there and be Daredevil. He's like, no, don't do it. And because he was giving up Daredevil. Now he is not. He is like, no, Daredevil is back for these reasons. But what I'm getting at, uh, that, uh, oh, where did it go? I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page. Yeah, I mean, one of these guys got killed from reported head trauma. And uh, we've got that character, this unnamed, not white character. I'm trying to be very careful with how, I don't know how to say, to, I don't explain anybody anymore. He's a, he's a person of not white persuasion picking up one of the billy clubs. So we know it's Daredevil, no matter what. And the Kingpin's going to know this because we know this guy's working for Fisk. And, uh, right. I want to see. I think that's what I want to see. I want to see who this guy is and if he's going to be messing with cop characters throughout the direct, you know, the the, the uh, continuation of the story. How was the dialogue with the cop characters? Was it believable? I mean, was it totally. just like totally believable? I mean, you have one guy that's clearly an old hat at police work, and then you have a younger. Like I said earlier, not a specimen. And, um, <laughs> it, I mean, it was pretty legit in that this is a crime scene. They're street cops or, you know, and they, they're, they're cruiser cops. They're not just, you know, standing there on the streets with, uh, you know, vests on like you see at a lot of places in New York. And, um, you know, they're taking a report. They're trying to figure it out. Like I say, one of them is specifically... Asking the or has specifically asked the victim of a daredevil incident, and he says, "Well, the guy, you know, I think it's daredevil." He's, he, he, I'm, I totally have to paraphrase here, but he's basically said, "You know, the guy was blind, so I'm automatically leaping to daredevil, right?" Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the cops are like, "Yeah, they think it's, you know, hey, this guy thinks that it's daredevil." And it's like, "Well, forget it. We're just not gonna, we're not gonna do anything with this, you know." But, uh, and the victim in particular, this is another thing that was pretty cool. And besides, the victim is Pistol Pat Albano. The man's nickname is a type of gun. Nobody catches these it. guys. You just live with it. I don't care that the mystery of his broken leg will go unsolved. Wait, did you call for backup? And here comes this guy. And it's like, the, the cops know who this guy is. Yeah. And... You don't get that from an ID. Nobody's nickname, you know, uh, Francis the Fish Frenchie or something like that. That's not (laughs) on your driver's license, your concealed carry, your, you know. So if this guy, a cop knows this, this makes it feel real. This, everything about this felt real. And that's what I really dig about it. It's a gritty, realistic, new take in the Daredevil universe, the Daredevil Hell's Kitchen. I dig it. You read my mind. Yeah. Uh, there's very few things as good as like a Madripoor story mm-hmm. or a good old fashioned knockdown, drag out, gritty cop 
semi-noir in Hell's Kitchen, in its own universe Hell's Kitchen, Daredevil story. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'll go back and say it. I mean, that, that Bendis Maleev run, when Daredevil was like, you know, initially his, his uh, uh, secret identity was compromised by a low-level mafia character. Something, or I think Silva was his name. Um, you know, when you get into that whole thing, you've been reading Bendis and Malieve's Daredevil for so many issues, and it's very confined. And then one day, Peter Parker, Reed Richards, Dr. Stephen Strange, and, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember the fourth character, show up in the street, and they're like, Matt, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean, what am I doing? They're Is this like, part of Shadowland? No, 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 this was way before Shadowland. This was after the Kevin Smith run, and uh, this was deep into Bendis and Malief. And uh, they're just like, hey, what are you doing? And, you know, if you need help, let us know. I know you're, I know, you know, it's like, well, I'm beating these guys up. I'm telling, you know, hey, if they, they think they need a kingpin, I'll be their kingpin. And they're like, what? Oh, it was Benarek. I'm sorry, the fourth guy had to have been Benarek. Please let me know if I'm making, uh, you know, this up, but legitimately... I'm not, you know, I can't pay. I can go pick up the issue before I say something about it here. But um, we're usually right, though. <laughs> we're, we have a high track record, I think. Uh, really, the point, really the point being, you're 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 up to your eyeballs in just Daredevil for so long, and then you realize there is a greater world out there, and these guys are all buddies. Of course, and we've known that, you know. Benerick is buddies with Peter Parker. And Matt Murdock, Matt Murdock is buddies with with the. Uh, this isn't this isn't the Spider Man and Johnny Storm relationship. No, Peter Parker and Matt Murdock would have a completely different relationship. And it was just funny to see like Reed Richards being there. Like, shouldn't you be handling? <laughs> this is sorry, everybody. <laughs> shouldn't you be handling monsters coming out of the ground or whatever? Where's the mole again? But like, yeah, I'm sorry, folks. I'm talking about something that is way before this particular issue of Daredevil. I'm just saying, get out there. You know, if if you if you were wondered what was going on with Man Without Fear, I think it is worth a read. I pick it up in trade. Uh, I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I'm like, okay, once I've reviewed something, I'm getting, I'm, you know, hey, do I need it anymore? Some of it, maybe, depends maybe. on how much I like it. But uh, I'm keep keeping everything. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, one thing that you said that uh, really stuck out to me, uh, uh, fearless readers and listeners, uh, it will be, you know, somehow we get this transcribed in mm-hmm. Braille. Sorry, readers. Um, <laughs> everyone always talks about uh, Frank Miller's run on oh, Daredevil, yeah. mm-hmm. but no one ever talks about Bendis and Malieve on Daredevil. Oh, Read Bendis and Malieve Daredevil. You will thank us. You will thank yourself. You will thank your pocketbook. It'll be something you, you will reread and agonize over. Um, also, uh, at a lesser extent, if you really like that, Shadowland was really good when uh, Daredevil took over the hand. Oh my god! That was a lot. Yeah. Of, that mm. that was a lot of fun. That was not some flip the tables. Let's. Wouldn't it be funny if Daredevil was leading the hand? No, no, not that's. This was something they slaved over, and you can tell there was only a couple of cooks in the kitchen that really took this to heart and found it important enough to add all those really good Daredevil tropes, but only a little bit. But then add all this extra stuff you never knew that Matt Murdock was actually capable of. Capable mm-hmm. of. And, and uh, you know, uh, don't just write Daredevil off as a, 
as a semi okay uh, Netflix show or just you know it was only good in the eighties when uh, Frank Miller was do- doing it. By the way, one of the reasons Frank Miller did that and why it was so intense was because he got mugged. Yeah, yeah, and he it, this was not something that he uh, let go. Yeah, and back when it was a cesspool. Let's talk about uh, – I want to talk about X-23 number nine. Mm-hmm. I don't have much to say about it. Uh, I'm really, really thankful that everything you had was so meat and potatoes, man. I mean like you know, there's – once you read something like that, you get a little bit full. Mm-hmm. And reading something really quick sometimes afterwards that isn't as good will kind of you know turn you off of it. But X-23 has been <laughs> solid. Harsh. Has been solid for the entire run. Uh, we're talking about X-23 number nine. Mm-hmm. And – Pull this up here. Uh, written by Mariko Tamaki and the penciler is Diego Orletugi. Orletugi? Yeah, I, I can't. I I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't have that. I'm issue. sorry, Mr. Diego. Uh, I'm, Mr. Diego, I am not very good at pronouncing that. Uh, uh, yeah, we always well a big apology yeah, for best. butchering people's names. Uh, you know, I'm some, I, honestly, sometimes you're reading it and you're like, this is great. I, oh, who did this? And you think about it for a little while, but then you sometimes we're just like, hey, no, we're reporting this to you all because we want you to know. Start looking at the, start subscribers, listeners, start looking at who's working on the material that you are reading, and then see what else they've done that you've been involved with, and be like, you know, this is exactly. somebody to follow, and see if they're still working for this company. You know, if you're looking at older material, carry on. Sorry. Oh, it- Oh, it bothers the hell out of me when they don't put all the names of the uh, of the at least the writer and the artist on the on the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, back in the day, you know, they didn't need to do that because no yeah. one really cared that much. But now it's important, and there's a big team working on X23 right now. Uh, the inkers, uh, there's three of them: Walden Wong, J.P. Mayer, mm-hmm. uh, and Scott Hanna, colorist Crystal Helen, uh, O'Halloran, and letterers VC VCs Corey uh, Petit, and cover ar- artist Ashley Witter. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's the adventures of X-23 and her lesser clone, Honey Badger. Uh, <laughs> at first at first glance, she would seem as kind of pop culture fodder. Oh, a cute little girl with, you know, Wolverine powers, clone of X-23. Not as brutal, but can be. She's really funny. She's really quippy. She's really witty. Uh, you know, the, the, she, she's probably 13, but she's a lot smarter than she lets on. But she's also really obsessed with cake and just really having a good time being a, a kid. I mean, they really let her have fun being a kid. And uh, one thing that occurred to me in this particular issue of X-23 is they are making it into the amount of fun that the second series of Wolverine was um, the one that postdated the Claremont and Frank Miller uh, four issue run that, you know, cost oh, 80 bucks yeah. uh, starting with patch. It was like Wolverine had his own mini universe that didn't really affect too much of his, you know, escapades with the X-Men. Mm-hmm. He had X-capades. a very specific... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Groner. Yeah. I'll never oh, do that again. Carry on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I actually wrote that down waiting for you to actually uh, call me out on that. Shut and, up. Uh, no, I really do. I can screenshot this. Excapades <laughs> underline. Um, they're making it a really fun universe just for X-23 and Honey Badger. Uh, they've had their own uh, run-ins with very specific people that are very specific to them. Uh, when they started this series, they did an amazing run with the Stepford Cuckoos. 
oh, who yeah. were were trying to resurrect their uh, you know dead sisters and failing and cloning and these things keep dying. Uh, taking that, oh, I was just happy to see Stephanie Cuckoo's just actually without being controlled by Emma or worrying about Emma's thinking or what they think of her or, or actually them, all three of them. And uh, mm-hmm. they found uh, they were attacked by a, a cybernetic like robot clone of them, though, which isn't really a full clone of them, but it's still half mutant and cybernetic. <laughs> and Honey Badger is really taking a liking to her. They captured her. They're, they've got her in the X Mansion. Honey Badger's doing the thing where, like, you know, X23 things like, hey, go to bed. Don't go talk to her. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And she, of course, you know, immediately sneaks down as soon as X23 falls asleep and, uh, you know, gives her some, some cake. And the, the robot is starting to show sentience and liking Honey Badger, which is good. You know, that, mm. that's what actually what the story is going to. It's actually broadcasting to some evil corporation. That has the an X in the name of it, which is obviously one of those companies that is trying to breed the next uh, all-powerful Sentinel, destroy all the X-Men, or vaccine to cure every you know mutant gene to make sure mutants don't happen. It was just a lot of fun. I, uh, probably a man. probably a ten minute read. Probably a ten minute read. Yeah, I, I don't think sure. you'd like this one at all. Uh, I, I mean, liked it for. X-23 shouldn't have that much dialogue anyways, usually, right? (laughs) She's such a... She's just not the character that's full of, you know, pontifications and stuff, but she's not Black Bolt quiet. Yeah, but you you obviously... I don't think you read NYX. I'm sorry, folks. I just have... I dare say I may have picked up a trait of it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sometimes I work... it's okay. That's why I only wanted to spend a little bit of time. Have some fun with it, guys. Uh, if you want to pick up single issues, great. Support these guys. If you just want to get the the graphic novel for a, a great quick read, it, it'll it's 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 definitely feel good. But it's mm-hmm. also it's got a little bit of nitty gritty. But it's also very feminine and very strong. And I enjoy how they take the writing and don't make it like this overly you know. Girl power. What was that term from back when, like, you know, that was Spice it. Yeah. Girl, girl power. Like, like, R's. G-R-R-L. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's not what it is. It's it's a lot of fun, guys, and it's yeah. showcasing what women superheroes can really do. You know, you, you touched on something there a second ago that uh, is, is probably long box worthy. Let's, I mean... We both read that unofficial Marvel novel, or not novel, that unofficial Marvel uh, history history book that uh, we talked to Jim Shooter about that time, and he was like, "No, nah, man, that, that that that's all wrong." And um, there was that entire time period in Marvel as a company that I think we need to pay attention to. NYX was in there, and then remember Marvel, Marvel, and like Trouble, right? I think it's worth going you're, back and looking at that. Uh, you're absolutely correct. The evolution of women superheroes would be absolutely fascinating, especially from what you're talking about earlier mm-hmm. when you mentioned the uh, what was it? What squadron? The, Fem, Fem uh, Force. The, the uh, Fem Force in these uh, Captain America issues I'm reading. Fem Force to the way it was in the '80s to, and then we obviously have to touch on which I'm actually an expert at is, is all the. Uh, uh, bodacious uh, '90s uh, superhero, she, Lady Death. Yeah, 
yeah, which, well, which Kirkman wrote, by the way, and then right. the evolution in the early 2000s when they did NYX, and then it wasn't, but, but, they weren't fodder anymore. They wasn't. Okay, that's what I want to know, because the, the take that I got out of that particular uh, documentary-style book, that unofficial guide or whatever, it's, it's that that time period, the EIC at Marvel... I could be completely wrong. Please fix this if it's if I'm not saying this right. But uh, was dismissive of so much stuff, and it was like, how much can I get away with to basically insult the the comics fans who are tacked on to these characters? And was NYX part of that? Because never before had we seen. A story of these were mutant prostitutes, right? Yeah, and you know, it's funny you say that because if I was going to describe NYX to someone that and what it stands for is No Way Home, uh, Quesada did it. Uh, mm-hmm. I would describe it as if they were going to make a movie out of it, it would be more upsetting than kids. Ugh, yeah, okay, that's what I'm getting at. It would like, be more upsetting with kids. But they didn't. They didn't write it in a sense where you know there's not people getting beaten to death by skateboards and long rape scenes. No, mm-hmm. they they write it in the sense the way Hitchcock would be able to expertly horrify you without showing you, you know, someone's guts getting ripped out or that sort of thing. They, they the writing takes precedent. Your mind has to be open for subtle cues for what's actually going on. And yeah, this is yeah we're gonna have to. We're gonna to have to put a pause on this because otherwise That's we're gonna have to lost. This is a topic. That's a thing, uh, man. I think you're yeah. thinking of it from one direction, and I'm thinking of it from another. And I think this takes a minute for us to reevaluate. But if you, if uh, any of our subscribers or listeners has a research needs idea, to get, yeah. If you guys have an idea of what we're talking about, at least just let us know that uh, there's, a, you know, a seed that's that's worth watering here. Uh, that you're 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 absolutely right. And guys, uh, this is obviously we're gonna let, let you you know place some little seeds here. Of what we're gonna talk about in the future, especially with this subject. Uh, the email is Colin and Josh at minefieldscomicspodcast.com. Let us know <laughs> if there's something that you want us to read to integrate into this conversation because we'll spend two hours on it. We don't care. This this is worth the research. This is academic. This is why people who love comics read the comics and buy the source material. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you. Our no. connection was getting a little bad because, yeah. Oh, is but it? let's. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's just. A if I could bad, say one more, okay. one more thing. Uh, if please, you, please. I'm wondering if the name of the uh, superhero strip club that the uh, <laughs> that the the that oh, Alicia Masters uh, bachelorette party went to in this most recent Fantastic Four stuff was called Excapades. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Why, because the, <laughs> I needed a cowbell or something. There. <laughs> I needed so, something to happen so everybody would know that I was joking. Obviously, no, that would a, be an, that would be an amazing strip club. Excapades, <laughs> uh, secretly run by the Morlocks. Oh and, God! Uh, I think and, it, and, and, maybe and featuring D, <laughs> featuring D list uh, X Men mutants that just couldn't make the cut for the team. Mm. <laughs> I could be. That could be pretty dark. <laughs> yeah. What else you got for uh, these this uh, this week's uh, readings? That's what I've been doing, man. I've got some stuff. I'm I'm very excited to talk about this this uh, Iron Man. 
All right, before we do that, actually, we have to feature the uh, new uh, exciting <laughs> little little bit of uh, tidbits about comic books, and we're calling it the Walking Dead Minute. Why? <laughs> because it takes five minutes, maybe six, depending how, uh, how quick you are to read and pay attention to a bunch of talking heads, which are still gorgeous and emotive. Mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. we're going to talk about The Walking Dead in one entire minute because that's literally all it takes. And I know you haven't read it yet, and I'm about to set a timer so I don't go over it. I, I actually think I can do it in under a minute. Before we start the timer to talk about Walking Dead comics, <laughs> I just would like to say, folks, uh, my, <laughs> at the probably at the top of their commercial interest, I sold my Walking Dead comics. I can't remember what issue I was on. I'm still picking them up. I'm still getting single issues. But, uh, you know, I, I regrettably, the only issue I didn't have a first print run was an issue number two, because I gave it up to a guy at the comic books at Speeding Bullet Comics while I was working there. A guy came in and was like, Oh, yeah, did you guys get Walking Dead? Yeah, I was, yeah, I got it. Oh, okay, here, can I get a number two? And I, who, who knew that was going to get so gigantic? But um, I know, right? The sad thing is that I'm afraid to start reading it again, despite the fact of having a stack of, like, 10 or 20 of these, uh, because I'm afraid that I am going to realize I made some tragic mistake. But right now, in my life circumstances, having... One of some thousand dollars sitting in my bank account in the event of catastrophe. And what's more, as having some in-store uh, in-store value, it, it goes a long way for me to have done this back then. Anyway, I don't need a minute. I don't think you're going to regret it because obviously we're going to be huge comic book writers and artists and we'll be free by them anyway. I don't, I started on, I think it was, I think it was uh, issue 56 when I picked up Walking Dead back in 2000. The beginning? I want to say yeah. 2007, maybe early 2008. It was the very first issue that, uh, First Prince of Abraham. And mm-hmm. then they started doing the Walking Dead weekly and I think they went up all the way up to 51 or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, I've got like a two issue gap. From yeah. Walking Dead Weekly to my first first print, uh, and and never missing an issue since then, and even those Walking Dead Weeklies are going for fifty, sixty dollars. That's what it's I'm ridiculous. About. I wonder if they still are, but that's one of those things when you suddenly had this massive hit show. Anyway, we do we, <laughs> that, yeah. that was not the Walking Dead minute, folks. <laughs> that was not the Walking Dead minute. Okay, I'm uh, all right. We're starting the Walking Dead minute right now. Walking Dead number one eighty eight. Mercer gets busted talking about Governor Milton. Uh-oh. Oops. Everyone overheard me. I get thrown in the brig. Eugene and his ham radio hottie are working from the train. And, yeah, we're going to be just fine here by ourselves. Y'all can leave us alone. Uh, their guard protection is like, we got to get out of here. Oh, no, we got this. We're going to work in this completely open area on this train, which is super important, all by ourselves. Wink, wink. We're probably going to get it on. No protection. Maggie's slaving over. I don't know. Should I go get help? Should I, with my presence, bringing my guys there, going to start more fights? I don't know. And, uh, oh, and oh no, oh, some kid chases a butterfly for a little bit, which reminded me of that idiotic bag in the wind scene from the American Beauty. Oh, it's just so deep. And uh, they're developing uh, Miss Cuban Princess into the fighting glory uh, hogging person she is to, oh, I love you. I have to leave. And then, oh, I'm all by myself. And I get encountered by these other guys here. And I'm like, oh, I love you guys again. Okay, I'll go back to this place here. And But I'm kind of scared. 
Oh, wait, you know, I'll, I'll come back. And <laughs> that is the Walking Dead minute. <laughs> if I could, that was a floating, but, uh, I, I, a floating almost, bag. Almost, almost, almost. You almost, almost got through it. it. Just like the, the last five seconds, and they're like, hey, how'd you divert all those zombies away? Oh, it's no big deal. We used some horses and diverted them into this uh, empty uh, uh, stockyard where there's a bunch of trains. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was the Walking Dead minute and 15 seconds. I'll get it next time. Man. Okay, no, I want to play next time. I can't wait. I'm get, I don't oh, – man. I'll have to catch up. <laughs> Start – with the re- with rereading them and, and see where they got because basically whatever whatever the most whatever the first issue I have now is when I sold it all off. This would have been right when Negan was uh, showing up uh, in the Walking Dead TV series. That's when I sold them, and I I, I yeah. feel like I realized a very good price for them. <clears throat> I think you did. I think you at first I was uh, no, I don't do it, but now they're gonna get. They're going to make 8 million reprints of those. How many graphic novels are there in the compendiums? Oh, no, I know. And that was part of the deal was I also got uh, compendiums to cover it. So if I want to go back and reread it, it's right there for me. That was just – it wouldn't need, that didn't even factor into the price point I got. And then what's – you know, I also giggle because I'm saying – you know what? What, what, is, what is the gentleman's name who plays uh, who played Shane? Who's playing the the, the Punisher? I can't so I come up with it off the top of my head. Oh, oh, John, oh, you, you're John. you're John, uh, not oh. John Boyega, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> John Boyega. Talking to myself. Yeah, no, not. <laughs> no, that's incorrect. John Bernthal, Mr. John Johnny Bernthal. Bernthal. Apparently, an incredibly super nice guy. I hear tell. Uh, uh, yeah, I was I. <laughs> It shocks me that I'm I'm telling someone I'm watching The Punisher with last night. Well, yeah, this guy was on The Walking Dead seasons one and two, season two that dragged out for so long. He was the only interesting character. I loved Shane. I hated him in the comics. He made him so good. And uh, one thing I love about Johnny Bernthal, and I'm going to call him Johnny because I'm going to be his friend one day, and that's what his friends call him. Sounds is good. Uh, he's ex petty criminal. Grew up in Washington, man. No Washington, kidding. Washington, D.C. Yeah, ex-petty criminal. And that he reminds sense. me... His, his persona I mean, reminds me Washington. so much of Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose. Mr. That's Jonathan the, Good. The, Mr. The, Jonathan Good. I think uh, it's a character, dude. I love Jonathan Good. I love that John Moxley. I love that Dean Ambrose. I can't wait to see what happens with him and where he's going to go. Uh, and we, we should... We could take bets on if it's AEW. But, um... It's uh, not going to be AEW. It's not going to be... A, no, they don't need him. They don't want him. Well, what they're, can they're he gonna, do there gonna... that he hasn't been able to do in WWE? I'm going to pour some tea, off, folks. Get ready for the sound of me pouring more hot tea. First off, Mr. Jonathan Good, Mr. X John Moxley, Mr. Dean Ambrose. And the thing about characters in wrestling that work is when you simply take who you are and turn it to 11. Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, the Texas Rattlesnake, uh, my... You know, global icon, national treasure, uh-huh. my favorite wrestler of all time. He became Stone Cold Steve Austin simply when he decided just to turn himself up to eleven. Rad, yeah. And you'll you'll hear a million interviews where that's simply that was his secret. He will always say, "I turned myself up to 11. And I think that's why Dean Ambrose works so well is because he's that scrappy dude from Cincinnati that yeah. used to be up in some in 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 some. Nefarious things, not like that? not 
I don't think he was part of a gang. I think he probably had a you know a, a, a group of uh, ne'er do wells that uh, helped out every now and then. But he definitely didn't mm-hmm. seem like career criminal guy. He, he had a dream and he followed it. And like, man, good for him. I'm, I'm I mean, a beautiful wife, million, oh, millionaire now. I the, love the reason, Renee Young. Oh yeah, she's beautiful. She, I'm not she's saying like such that a nice woman. Like, oh, she's, she's great so, at what dude, she does. I love. Yeah, I love seeing her. I love her interview prowess. I love her yeah. improvisational skills. I love yeah. the way she. I love this thing that got where she's paired up like across from Corey Graves, and they're grading. I love it. I'm so glad to have her there as an announcer, and I was super depressed. Well, I don't know if I was, but I mean, when I, I saw uh, Raw in Oklahoma City a few weeks ago, they have intro music for what's it, Michael, and then they have intro yeah, music for Corey Graves, and and they're introed and announced on their way in. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Where's Renee? They didn't say anything about Renee coming out. And I'm like, that woman deserves a lot of respect. She deserves better than that. And you don't see the these old intros. man still runs it old school. Oh, man, it shouldn't be like that. She's too good. But but uh, before we get into new Iron Man, uh, Mr. John Moxley and Mr. Dean Ambrose, mm. I, don't, I don't think he's going to go to AEW because I don't think it's a good career choice for him right now. Yeah, they're going to give him, like, if he wants to, I'm sure they're going to pay him probably almost just as much as they're pre- paying Ch- Chris Jericho, which from what I understand, his purse is $3 million for a two-year deal, and they're still letting him, uh, they're still letting him uh, have some sort of agreement with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and which Sweet. is interesting because when the Young Bucks and uh, Kenny, uh, when, the, when the Elite left, and Kenny announced it. They they deleted everyone off their roster, off the website, except for Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, which is still interesting. Uh, I did that. I, the reason, the reason I, I think it's a bad idea for him to go to AEW right away is because he's gonna go up, he's gonna go to AEW as Dean Ambrose, and people are like, oh, it's Dean Ambrose, and and you don't want to do right. that. The, the days of, uh, of the Monday Night Wars were um, Diesel and. Um, and Razor Ramon left to go to WCW, and they show up, and they're like that first night. Like, yeah, you know who we are. You want to know why we're here? Yeah, that was cool back in the day. And but they showed up as still as the same persona. He's flat out said, uh, Dean Ambrose, I don't like hokey shit. He's flat out said it, and that's what they've had him do uh, for a little bit. And I can't blame him. If he wants to leave, if it's a work, it might be. If it's a shoot, I hope it's a shoot. Uh, I hope he goes to New Japan Pro. The reason why I hope he goes to New Japan Pro, not just because I think it's the best and my favorite, mm-hmm. but in New Japan Pro, he can go overseas. He won't be in such a big limelight, but he'll still get the purse he deserves. But he'll also get the absolute freedom to develop who he needs to be as his own character that he developed on his own self. If he goes to AEW, he's going to show up as the guy formerly known as Dean Ambrose. Right. If he goes, if he goes to New Japan, he's not going to have that sort of pressure on his back. He'll have time to develop. They can build a story. I know the guy loves in-ring working because the guy was a tape trader back in the day. He mm-hmm. like he's talked about it in a million interviews. Like, tape trading was where it was at. And let him develop his character in New Japan Pro, and then when he's comfortable, go to AEW, go to Ring Honor, show up and kick some ass. Just you know. You know, show who you are as not the artist formerly known as Dean Ambrose, but whoever he develops now. If he does it in the States, he's going to be too much under a microscope in AEW. And it's also, 
And it's also going to take away from the indie guys that need that spotlight, that deserve the spotlight that they are about to have. If, if Dean shows up, they're going to put him on all the time. They're going to take away from some of these guys uh, that need that spotlight. And I, 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 you know, whether it's a business decision, whatever, I'm not in that industry, but I do study it. And, uh, all right, man, let's take a dig, big, deep breath and let's talk <laughs> about Iron Man number eight. All right, guys, uh, time to get into Mr. Uh, Iron Man number eight. Tony Stark Iron Man. Dan Slot. The. Dan Slot. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. Because yeah. uh, right now I'm about to crap all over this, and this is going to be something I'm not proud of, but. We're going to talk about this. The cover's gorgeous. Uh, I didn't appreciate how it suckers you in to a major turning point for Tony. He's drowning. The, the, the artwork is gorgeous. This, this, it's, mm. it looks digital, but the painting is gorgeous. He's drowning in, you know, a, you know, a, a short glass of a of a whiskey with some nice, uh, large, perfect cubes of ice. So, oh, is Tony going to drink again? I don't like being manipulated like that. Second off, I thought that this actual – I actually haven't read any of the new Iron Man. This is the first one I've read of the new the new series. I think I read the first maybe three pages of issue number one. It came out a couple months ago, and I didn't like it. And I was just like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time. And we decided we are going to talk about this, and I thought the story was absolutely trite. I thought that this story was some hack writer – that maybe <laughs> took a couple of, took a couple of extra puffs and bong rips while they were watching Ready Player One and thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if the Oasis was made by Tony Stark? And that's how I was reading this story. I thought it took all those lame tropes of what Tony Stark always messes up and then threw it into what if he created the Oasis in Ready Player One and Everything's going wrong. Everyone's mad at Tony. Where's Tony? Why isn't he handling this? Who are you? Why are you the guy handling this? Of course he's not in the office. And, you know, the the people, that, the players that think everything's real, if, if the Oasis has actually gone, you know, you know, full viral and they were controlled and actually thinking they were in the real world and, you know, accidentally murdering real people thinking they're still in the Oasis. And everyone, this is a worldwide catastrophe. And, of course, those worldwide catastrophes, unless it's really good, it makes me think, okay, there's always a million worldwide catastrophes. How is Marvel even juggling all these worldwide catastrophes? New York's getting <laughs> destroyed by uh, X-Men, uh, you know, losing it, killing all the X-Men. Uh, Tony Stark's new program is running amok across the entire world. Uh, God knows what else is going on with the Avengers with their new base and a celestial body. And, you know, there, it, it's, it's a little – I took all that into account and immediately wrote it off. Mm. Um, and then, you know, they've got the his mom, his actual mom, you know, fighting with the robotic sentience of his, what his real mom and dad are and tricking Tony. And he thinks he's back in the 60s and they offer him a drink and, oh, no, Tony's drinking again. And I'm past that. Like – I don't want to hear that, especially after the past couple of years where we have had amazing Iron Man, story, uh, Iron Man stories sans Tony Stark. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And I thought this was totally such a terrible follow-up. And I wrote everything down, ready to just crap all over this, and you told me you loved it. And I was like, great, we need to have this point-counterpoint. I but don't then, love it for the reasons you're disliking it, though, so far. So this could get this could get very uh, fulfilling, I think. I, I, I thought there was a lot of stupid jokes, like where... Uh, he's in the uh, uh, Machine Man, which is the redeeming factor for this for me, is in the pirate world, and he makes a Lonely Island joke. Love, love Lonely Island. <laughs> totally, that like, was a good moment. There's, there's, yeah, that, that, that was the only good joke I, I, I liked, but everything else was pop culture fodder jokes to me. How long can this industry last on Deadpool and his quips and pop culture references instead of actual good writing? It's too easy to do pop culture references. It is too damn easy, and I'm sick of it. Again, that's one of the reasons why I don't like Star Wars anymore. We were talking about this pop culture mentality is too easy. It's too quick. It, but at the same time, though, 10 years from now, is anyone actually going to get that joke? Because it's not historically something that anyone would really pay attention to unless they worked for VH1 for 20 years. Mm. I don't like that. I don't like that. You know, when you talk about the Civil War, you got to understand like this, 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 and this, and this, and this, this is going on. It's not just slavery, right? But you know, a large part of it was. But now, this pop culture fodder is integrating itself into stories that can be so much better. And in ten years, like, is anyone gonna really remember? You know, the Michael Bolton reference from. Lonely Island, probably. Wow. Jeez, but, dude. but all the other little jokes, all the other little jokes, I, I sincerely doubt it. Go back and look at and how dated the Ultimates is when you've got Shannon Elizabeth in the International Space Station with Tony Stark on a date oh while simultaneously God. being interviewed by Larry King, who it's surprising to me that, you know, millennials, that is a millennial story, but those people were one, you know, when that story was coming yeah. out. Uh, yeah. You know, and those, of course, the Ultimates came out across, I don't know, three years. It took that long to do 12 issues. Um, and uh, and then Freddie Prinze Jr. I mean, yeah, you're right. I get I get what you're saying there. That's fast. I, I wasn't even thinking about it along those lines. I was way more impressed. With, I was way more, like, I, there were things that I was impressed with. I was like, wow. Uh, but I'll get to that. I want you to finish up on what you've got. I, I The artwork was... For what we've been dealing with for the past couple of years, uh, post Secret Wars, for Iron Man comics, mm-hmm. it was absolutely it was absolutely subpar. Not comparing to that, it was still good artwork. Mm-hmm. But Iron Man's Iron Man's costume, oh, costume, his suit, mm-hmm. his suit of armor, it, it seemed pretty lame to me. Huh. And I get to that. segue in, that to segue sense. into your rebuttal. <laughs> I didn't realize that Dan Slott was writing this, and I felt like such a piece of crap because I have given Dan Slott the benefit of the doubt for almost, I want to say, let's see, I started rereading Spidey in 2008. Since then, he has done nothing but good for me. When he killed Parker for a bit, everyone was sending him death threats, and I remember reading on one article where people were like, hey, calm down. The guy's the biggest Spider-Man fan in the world. He's not going to do you wrong. And that satiated me. Yeah, he's right. This guy's right. Dan Slott will not do us wrong. And he didn't. Superior Spider-Man was superior. Mm. 
Yeah, I've got a long way to go to catch up on that one. I got so bent out of shape with uh, the uh, One More Day storyline and um, right. Mephisto. Right, we, That's a whole thing. Right. Before we digress, I just want to give you that segue. I I think I need to reread this. Maybe, uh, but at no, the same no, time, though, no, I you don't do, need to reread this. I, you need to get. The, I think we need I, to get the previous two. This is a part. This is part three. I do appreciate that it's it's Dan Slott, uh-huh. but I do also appreciate the fact that because if I had realized it was Dan Slott before I started reading this, I would have gone in there with absolute open arms, ready to hug everything in every panel oh, and really? accept everything for what it was. So I have that unobjectified, non-biased version. Please, prove me wrong. Okay, well, let's see. I mean, I think there are things going on here that you may not be aware of and that a lot of people might not be aware of. Um, And I think that has a lot to do with some of these side characters, the people who aren't Tony Stark and the uh, obvious, like, compelling bad guys here. First of all, I mean, I got into this knowing... I'm buying this because that cover is something else. That means something. It's a great cover. I, that, I, I got it for no other reason than that means something to me. And Ditto. So, I mean, cover artist Edgar Delgado, fantastic. Way to go. That is a beautiful-looking thing. And it does pertain to something that happens at the end of the story. Because at this point... Yeah, I'm going to skip ahead to the very last. Is it the very last page? Yeah. Tony is drinking a martini. Is it happening, or is it happening in uh, in his mind? I don't know. Uh, but that's the thing is that he's doing it now. Has Tony drank since you know the end of Demon in a Bottle? How long did it take for him to get out of there? To get out of that, you know, to how long did it take to cap to like control his alcoholism for one thing? And then if you go in, you look at uh, what was it in the Fear itself storyline? He performed a sacrifice Drinking. to get the attention of a god. They needed help. The god. He, they needed help. The god. And uh, he asked for help from Odin. And that's, that is Old Testament stuff to do a sacrifice to get their attention. He sacrificed his sobriety. So we can look at that. Or son. Yeah, we can look at that and we can say that that is something that, that he takes seriously. Prior to that, there was that weird business in, um, uh, what was it, No More, oh, darn it, Avengers Disassembled, because he appeared before the uh, United Nations, and everyone wondered if he was drunk, but that was, that had a lot more to do with uh, the Scarlet Witch. So, uh, what do I like about this? First of all, yeah, it, it's kind of a dumb thing, <laughs> No diss to you, but seriously, it's kind of a, right. a dumb thing to get into it and just be like, I'm going to give this thing a hard time. I'm in the middle of book three. You didn't come at it from that perspective, so I can appreciate your take on things. Um, first page, though, Russia, the Soviet super soldiers. I haven't seen them in I don't know how long, and the last time I saw them was when I picked up 1992's Soviet super soldiers one shot, thinking, oh my god, I can't believe it, the Soviet super soldiers, I want to do something with this. What? 
They're in uh, the recent issues of uh, Avengers, mm. and they're brutal. They're brutal assholes. So that's why they're able to do this uh, to really introduce them uh, for a little bit. Okay, they've got to be. There's got to be something going on that's propelling them. They're no. They can't be the Soviet super soldiers any longer because you know. I mean, there's no Soviet Union. Uh, but next page, I'm, I'm just reading through this thing, not having been reading Iron Man lately. And I'm going, oh, my God, Crimson Dynamo, the Red Guardian, Dark Star. And then page two, Sunset Bane? Oh, my God. And I'm automatically going, for me, I know now I need to be reading Iron Man because this is developing into something. Because I know Sunset Bane. And the chick with the uh, green glasses. That's right. And you know why you don't know her? Because I haven't I sent... Sorry, it's the middle of February. We have not traded Christmas presents yet. And yeah. uh, I have a book for you that you absolutely have to read, and it's going to tell you where this is going. Then, you know, next page, we get the Wasp being pretty rad. And um, I, I really liked the way it was specifically written in there. Uh, it felt good to me to look at, okay, hey, here's this situation we need to deal with, you know? It's not the Green Goblin giving you the choice between save the girl or suffer the children, as in, you know, 2002's Spider-Man. But it's more like, yeah. okay, hey, we're fighting these drones. Well, this is, a, this is a misdirection. We need to fight smarter. And Jan's doing the, or, well, if this is in fact Jan, I'm not, I'm not sure what iteration of the Wasp we're on right now. But the Wasp is trying to deal with it. They're like, no, 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 we're going to do this different. We're going to go actually let these drones blow this place up or do whatever they're doing. You know, we got to go shut down the drones. It's like you've got the zombies all over the world, but you got to figure out where the zombies are coming from and let the rest of the world try to deal with the zombies. I get it. I like that moment. But then I get into the next page. I'm clearly not knowing what's going on, and I'm just watching characters do cool stuff. And I'm like... Automatically, this thing where people are wearing Stark text masks just made me slow down. I was like, are you serious? We're dealing with a situation where people are thinking they're inside of a video game? That's ridiculous. Yep. That is ridiculous. Yep. I don't need a Caprica situation. And, I mean, Ready Player One just didn't do much for me. Um, so, I mean, right then and there, I'm a little bit turned off, but I'm going, I still want to know what's going on with Sunset Bane. Then they start talking about the controller. Dude, the controller, is, is this a character that anybody has taken seriously in 30 years? This is the controller. This is awesome. When Tony's just like, it doesn't matter what his, he has no ulterior motive other than to control, and he's a guy. He wants to be jacked up on whatever it is that gets him there. And the Wasp asks, is that really all it is? Yeah, why not? Why can't it yeah. be just that? Why does any villain, why does the puppet master do what he does? Why does the leader do what he does? Why does Dr. Doom do what he does? What are the, com what are the compelling factors? The Molecule Man, why does he do what he's doing? Does it ever really matter? Some of these people are sycophant children that are overpowered and don't know what to do with it. And sometimes that, what, the Hulk, why does he do what he does? He usually just wants to be left alone, but he is the strongest one that there is. And for, by the mere fact of their existence, somebody's going to come after them. The Hulk, by all means, should be a solitary bad guy all of the time. But the mere fact of it is that 
these characters have perpetually cared about the sad circumstances of a guy that they knew to be good inherently turning into a bad guy that they have teamed up with him and tried to work with him over and over and over again. That's not the case with the controller. But the beauty of it is when you look at Tony Stark, go back to the earliest stuff with Tony Stark, maybe he doesn't have any respect for the controller, but the Crimson Dynamo, Hawkeye, the Black Widow, how many other characters did he say, you're a bad guy, I'm offering you an opportunity to come out of that? So now I'm like, right. I'm going to go back and look at the controller. What the heck is this all about, you know? And I think this goes way, way, way back to when, uh, and for, you know, forgive me if I'm wrong, when, when almost when Tony met Thanos, Thanos was introduced in early uh, Iron Man stories after he got his own title. And it's like, okay, so there's a reason why he would just be dismissive of this. So I, And then, you know, you get into this other business where uh, there's a mole in the organization. I like that. What I don't like is when we get to the middle of the page. You'll know it, know it when you get there, folks, because it's where the staples are in the magazine. Um, you know, we're inside this alternate reality, and this former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, etc., character who was a superstar that is Tony Stark's mother... You're not going to understand that unless you read International Iron Man, which, God bless right. them, Bendis, phenomenal. Bendis and Maleev again, uh, giving us something phenomenal. really good. <clears throat> get International Iron Man, get... What? <laughs> God, uh, infamous Iron Man. Infamous. Two infamous. of the best infamous. Iron Man stories that I've seen in years, and one of them not incorporating Iron Man at all. It's a different guy as Iron Man. If you don't know what I'm talking about, be surprised. It kicks ass. Uh, kicks it ass. It is a post-Battle World, post-Secret Wars, and I'm not talking about the original Secret Wars. I'm talking about this thing that they... Uh, very universe-changing, but kind of jammed on us as a, as a, you know, a summer event. But, you know, so, I mean, the controller here, I dig this whole business. The more I got into it, the more I was like, okay, there's just stuff going on. And there's, it, this is a technically a totally reasonable way to take over Tony Stark. The dude is a living machine, whether or not he's human or he's Orson Scott Card's ultimate Iron Man. He is still, he's tied to the electronics as far back as, what was it, 2005's The Extremis? You guys watch Iron Man 3, and you see Extremis is a bad thing. Extremis was also... It wasn't a bad thing, necessarily, originally, because he used it as an... As a, you know, that was a, it was a new aspect of the suit, so that the suit was always with him and in him. Not so much as, like, right. this nanotech from uh, Avengers um, Infinity War. <laughs> but it is a part of him. It was like it was the Venom symbiote. Check that out. I started to really get more excited about this when I started to see Tony get taken over and see the Wasp and the Hulk and Hank Pym as they were in the earliest Avengers, and then their vernacular changed. The way they were talking, the way he was hearing people, and the way he was talking was like the original books. And I was like, okay, this, this feels like it's a takeover. And it doesn't just say, oh, his mind is taken over, like in the Skrull invasion, in Secret Invasion, or his mind is taken over by anything like it would generally. It's, oh, he's got a virus and I messed up. 
It's, it shows us where his mind went with it, and I think that's cool. So then, suddenly, we've got this whole thing. Mind you, I haven't been reading the previous ones, and here I am dropped in the middle of episode three only because of a cover. And pow, Jocasta? Wow! Jocasta, and she's with Aaron Stack, one of my favorite characters, X-51 Machine Man. And I'm just like, well, they're in love. And so seeing them... On panel together is a big deal to me. And then... The trust that she gave him. The trust she gave him. Yeah. I want to know... That was nice. ...what's going on with that because I'm a huge Machine Man fan. I have every issue of the original Machine Man. I have the issues of 2001 where he gained his sentience. I've got Next Wave Agents of Hate. I've got so much more. I'm a Machine Man collector. I look for Machine Man. And then to skip the rest of this issue, because we already went into the whole business of his mother and the drinking, where is this going? Why is this happening? Why is so much crap jammed into one issue that you have to know what's going on to be able to do anything with it? What's it leading to? 2020 approaches, you all. I personally might be one of the only folks who, can, who is excited about this. But if you pick up the Marvel previews uh, that has, oh, it's issue number 18, January from March 2019, <clears throat> you get in there, you're going to see an advertisement for Dan Slott's Tony Stark Iron Man number 10, and you're going to see the preceding page, a full page, we would call it a splash page if this were in a comic, 2020 approaches. What is it? What does this mean? In the late, nine, or the late 80s and the early 90s, the concept of Marvel 2020 was going on virtually hand-in-hand in, hand in the same time as the 2099 uh, program was happening. Sunset Bane is a bad guy in 2099, and she has teamed up with Tony Stark's nephew, Arno Stark. And he is Iron Man 2020, the Iron Man of the year 2020. That's next year, people. And you go back and you look at this amazing cyberpunk world that they created for 2020. Where is it best reflected in Machine Man 2020 by DeFalco? Oh, let me go in here. Yeah. By uh, Tom DeFalco, Herb Trimple, Barry Windsor Smith, Larry Hama, the series editor, who we both love. And uh, this is Tom DeFalco, who was the editor-in-chief back then. The Three names that you... Three names that just hooked me. The second you uh, you said Tom DeFalco, oh hell yeah, FNA. So Barry Windsor Smith. Oh yeah, I, I feel like a piece of crap just not having <laughs> not, I'm not trying to squash you, but I want this is no, this is exciting. Not, We're not on each other's cases right now, guys. We are. Oh, no. This is this is like, dude. You just don't see where this is going. It's it's like trying to it's like trying to show somebody. You know, I don't know uh, the Avengers, and then not realizing that there's 10 more years of movies to build up to Infinity War and Endgame. This is a big deal because the story is one of the best cyberpunk stories I've ever read. Uh, it is cinematic, and it comes... You just don't get books like this anymore. You go back and you talk about the Punisher 4, four series. You've got the Wolverine four-part series. This is a four-part series they did with, uh, with Machine Man. He is unfortunately... One of Marvel's redheaded stepchildren ignored, 
pulled out of the closet every once in a while. Somebody tries to do something amazing with them, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't take. Machine Man is a joke, and I hate that because he should be Gene Roddenberry's The Questor Tapes. If you know what I'm talking about, send us an email. Send us a comment. Let me know that you're out there because this is, this is a big idea. Look at those old stories. If you go back and look at the Machine Man books from the 70s, it's the story about a man who's a machine, an android. He has no idea where he came from. What is, you know, what, what, is, what am I doing on this world? Why is everybody chasing me? Sunset Bane is chasing him. He is a living AI in the 70s when there weren't any other ones except for Ultron. <clears throat> You know, and so you've got only bad guy sentient robots, and then you have this sentient robot, and what is Machine Man? He is brought to life by being introduced to the monolith from the movie 2001 and the books by Arthur, but, nice. oh God, Arthur C. Clarke, God help me if I said that wrong, uh, and um, it's just this, this all, everything that's happening here, leading to the possibility of what they're going to do for 2020, I'm really excited about because it pertains to things that are under the radar in the 70s and in the 80s. And these things are all in reprint. You can get every issue of Machine Man in a collected works and a trade paperback. Can, it, can I tell you whether or not it's worth it? I don't know. It's an omnibus edi edition. I love it. I don't know that it's everybody's cup of tea, but people get out there and try to find Machine Man 2020. It's a good story. I don't, I mean, and I don't want to go into what it is. Maybe we can long box the full Machine Man. I'm just telling you, we have to. This is tying something in that I hope is going to be giant. Uh, you know, a, this isn't going to, I hope it's not like a series, like a, uh, like a summer event. I just, I just want it to be paid its due attention because I think it's worth it. I don't know what else to say about that right now, except that I could just go on and on about all this, clearly. <laughs> no, you, you, you hammered that straight in the ground. Oh, yeah. You, I don't, beat the, you don't ever say beat that. that, that you don't ever say dead. that unless it's really worth it. <laughs> no, no, it's not that the horse is dead, but when you say it that way... And I, I segued into this because... I need to have more faith in Dan Slott. I, well, I always did, but I, if I had known Dan Slott had wrote, written this, I'd be right where you are right now. Oh, dude, yeah. But, the excitement for me yeah, is the, I can't wait to see where it's going, and I can't wait to go get the previous issues of this book. you, you got to have faith in Dan Slott. The guy knows what he's doing. The guy worships this. He's not Instagramming about you know meeting random stupid things he he posts pictures with fans he's always posting awesome pictures of food he's eaten and the guy just is really enjoying life and he deserves it his care and his love of spider-man mm. and what he created with superior spider-man this was the same excitement i was coming at you when you were like so apprehensive about superior spider-man okay and i was telling you this is this is the same thing and i'm glad we had this point counterpoint Especially that I missed that Dan Slott wrote this because I would not have had the, that opinion. Um, we have to really dig deeper in this, especially with um, more you know different comics. But 
this sort of point counterpoint is absolutely productive, especially when someone is turned off so quickly. And then you not knowing too much about enough dance slot, just loving it. And your exuberance has me hooked. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I think you're going to read it, but like read it, read it or not. I mean, it's, it, it, if Dan Slot's name is on the front, it, uh, it's mine. I get it. I dig. I mean, but then beyond that, I mean, what else do we have here? We have, I mean, yeah, I think the Pirates thing is, I thought it was cute, but I didn't think of it along the lines of, man, that's going to date this, isn't it? Which is funny because that was uh, 12 years ago or something like that. That joke, uh, the uh, uh, Michael Bolton joke. No, that was, uh, no, it's not on a boat. It's the... Uh, it was from the same record. Uh, it so was was uh, it incredible? Man, I've got no, all three of them. It was it was off a of turtleneck and chain. <laughs> it was off a yeah. of turtleneck and chain. Yeah, that 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 record was great. Um, we're gonna wrap up. This has been an excellent issue. Yeah. Short box is absolutely surpassing long box. Tomorrow, um, or in the next couple of days, while we wrap this up to have this printed on Friday. And to follow up with everything that comes out on Friday, because right now we're still waiting for iTunes to approve us. So we're still kind of taking our time and getting our groove on and figuring out how we're actually going to make this machine work. Uh, we'll add the an extra bit for all the indie wrestling, New Japan Pro, uh, Ring of Honor, Impact. Uh, obviously, a quick wrap up on WWE, but you guys are probably aren't tuning into us to listen to anyone talk about WWE because <laughs> it is what it it is what it is. The the meat and potatoes is 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 with the indies and I can't wait for AEW and Providence when I'm talking about trying to be positive, I get paid on Wednesday. I was practically crapping my pants when I, I knew that they were going to announce when the uh, tickets for um, double or nothing was going to come out. And that's actually going to, they're going to, they, the preset went up today. I forgot to get the code cause I didn't think I'd actually be able to get paid before that, but they go on sale for general public on Wednesday. I get paid Wednesday morning. You better believe I've got some cash to get us some tickets for <laughs> We'll have to report Vegas. on it. Yeah, live. <clears throat> and um, I'm just I'm just in a good place right now, and I I just love the smile on your face, man. Especially when you're talking about things you love, dude. Yeah, this is great. This is uh doing doing these podcasts. Everybody is we get to show, you know it's wonderful because it's we get to share our thoughts and our ideas with you all. I like to talk about the things that. I've known for a long time and I know that we like to talk about like I said how that pertains to now and we like to speculate on where things are going we want to be very careful about what we say where we think things should go uh, but um, uh, I mean yeah this this podcasting this is kind of the best part of our weeks sometimes you know it's right. a it's a tough world comics help make things a lot better. I mean, I went through a Lego store today and I was like, man, I'm, I, I shouldn't buy anything, but man, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, I just, Legos make things better. There's a lot of things that make things better. Just take a minute and appreciate what you have. And agreed. If, if you're, if it, if a fictitious, a fictitious narrative that you bought for four bucks or whatever makes you happy, find somebody in your life who also likes it and talk to them about it, you know, at work, a buddy, you know, go to the bar, whatever, go to the comic book store on Wednesday and find somebody who likes what you like, you know, tell somebody you like that shirt, you like that Black Panther shirt that they got 
at uh, Hot Topic or Old Navy or whatever and have a conversation. Because just listen to how excited you are. Yeah, tell us. We'll tell, talk to you tell about us. it. Tell us. We, we, we want to hear everything you guys have to hear, whether if we got something wrong or we got something right. Again, it's Colin and Joshua at minefieldscomicspodcast.com. That's comics plural. And uh, let us know what you think and what you like or what you hate. And uh, we're wrapping up. Uh, we're about to uh, segue into the indie wrestling part of our story here because my boy uh, Switchblade White won the IWGP Championship last night at Oh, gave me chills. I had to wear my Switchblade shirt tonight. You always comment, like, every time we, we Skype, I'm always wearing a Bullet Club <laughs> shirt or some sort of indie wrestling shirt, man. But uh, I guess we're out for this week. Yeah. Um, again, you're, we're going to get another issue in this this week as well because we're still waiting for uh, iTunes to approve us. You'll be able to catch up on this, you know, and see the dates. But, hey, listen to us. We love you. And uh, over and out. All right. Thanks, y'all. Talk to you later.